If you have a copy of God's Word with you, if you would take it and open it with me, not to the book of Daniel. We're going to go to the New Testament, to the Gospel of Luke. And this morning we're going to begin a new sermon series entitled Meals with the Son of Man. The Gospels teach us a lot about uh, Jesus, who he is and what he came to do and what he came to accomplish here on the earth. Particularly if we look at three very specific statements in the Gospels, we know the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. We know that he came not to be served, but to serve. There's a third statement that's tucked away, much less familiar in Luke chapter 7, where it says the Son of Man came eating and drinking. For us, what we want to do this summer is we want to walk through the Gospel of Luke. There are 10 different accounts in Luke's Gospel where Jesus shares a meal with someone. And what we want to do is, 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 is walk through these kind of narrative pieces in the book of Luke and see and consider what Jesus is accomplishing around the table, um, what we can learn, how we can apply these truths as we've sung and prayed already this morning, that our lives might be captured by this worshipful obedience. And so our hope this summer is this. It's so much more than just a, a meal tour with Jesus or diners drive in and dive Jesus edition. Like we want it to be so much more than that, but to see these, these rich narrative pictures of who Jesus is, the company that he keeps, that our hearts might be challenged, that our hearts might be encouraged towards worshipful obedience. And so this morning we will consider in Luke chapter 5, the Son of Man, who came to heal the sick and call the sinner. Uh, Luke 5, verses 27 through 32. I'll read those now if you'll follow along with me. So after this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. Verse 29, and Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners too repentance. Let's go to the Lord together in prayer. God, as we approach your word, we pray, God, that you would find within us, God, a, a humble heart that is ready to receive your word and, Lord, ready to obey your word. So, Lord, in this text, we pray that you would teach us, God, that you would change us, God, that you would renew us, that by the power of your spirit and the truth of your word, God, our hearts would be encouraged, our hearts would be challenged, our hearts would be convicted, and ultimately, God, our hearts would be changed because you are continuing, Father, your sanctifying work within us. So, Lord, do that this morning, we pray, for the good and glory of your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's begin in these verses by looking at the first two verses and considering the calling of Jesus. The Gospels are full of examples of times in which that Jesus is calling people to obedience. He's calling his disciples to come along and, and follow him. And from the very beginning, what we see in these narrative pictures and pieces is this, that 
that Jesus is not the type of Savior that many expected him to be. And we see that clearly in our text today. So far in in Luke chapter 5, although only a few chapters into this book, we see Jesus teaching, he's healing, he's performing miracles, he's forgiving sins. Um, And all those things are not necessarily associated with the political power that many in his day thought that he would have or thought that he would obtain. And so much so that the scribes and Pharisees in chapter 5 verse 21 are are confused. Who is this guy? Under whose authority is he doing these things? And then in verse 26, we see that they are truly captivated by him. They say that we have seen extraordinary things today. They have beheld these things with their eyes. And then Jesus very quickly, very swiftly moves into this very next picture to show them that I have not come just so that you can see extraordinary things with your eyes. I've come that you might experience extraordinary, extraordinary things in your heart. That would be a challenge for them as we see in these verses. Verse 27, after this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at his tax booth. And he said to him, come and, and, and follow me. And then Levi leaves everything. And he rose and followed him. I love how it begins in verse 27 that Jesus was, was going out. And as he was going out, the picture is that he saw Levi. This is not just a passing glance. What we see in, in the original language is this, that the word used for saw here is a, a very intentional looking similar to what you would do if you went to go see a movie at a movie theater. Not on accident that you ended up there, and it's not an accident that you were captivated by the new Maverick movie or the new Top Gun movie that's out on TV screen, and you're watching it for an extended period of time, that you're looking with a, a, a purpose. It's the picture of Jesus here, that Jesus was, was looking for a purpose, and he was looking for a purpose until his eyes fell upon Levi. You see, Jesus was looking for a purpose, too, when his eyes fell upon you. One day, you did not just happen into his gaze. He was not just accidentally pursuing you. It was purposeful when he called you like he's calling Levi here. It's another beautiful picture here that when that moment happens, he he calls you where you are. Where is Levi here? Levi is sitting behind his tax booth. He's at his cubicle at work, if you will. He's driving down the road on a sales call, if you will. He is in the middle of his daily life, a daily life that he built for himself, fairly lucrative, not very popular, pretty prestigious. He built it for himself, and in that moment, when he was hiding behind his success at work, masquerading behind this beautiful, successful life that he had built for himself, perhaps with a well-put-together family that know how to wear their Sunday best and show up with their smiles on every single Sunday. It's at that moment that Jesus calls Levi. In that place, for us, I think it's a helpful reminder that when Jesus called us, calls us, it's not that we have found a special place in life, an extraordinary place in life. Sometimes it's because we've found the normalcy of life. And that in the normalcy of life, he steps in to our sin and to our brokenness and to our, our, our broken relationships, and he calls us. The picture of tax collectors in Scripture, we would be, or we would know, that, that Levi would be a man of manipulation, found success in a corrupt vocation. 
lived in some form of relational rebellion to those that he encountered day in and day out. And in spite of all of that, Jesus looks at him, looks upon him, and he sees him as all that we see in that first couple phrases of verse 27. You see, the calling of Jesus begins with his purposeful, intentional, and yes, redemptive gaze upon your, you and your weary state, you and your place in life. And once he gazes upon you, the picture that we see in scripture here is he sees you and then he calls you. He calls you oftentimes from the comfort of your vocation, of your life, of your family, and he calls you from that place to a place of Christ-likeness. When Jesus calls us for salvation, when he calls us to follow him day in and day out, that calling is both a calling from something and it's a calling to something. Modeled well here in this particular narrative and, and the calls of the other disciples that we see throughout the New Testament. Probably the most common one or familiar one is Luke 9 verse 23. And he said to them all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. This is the, the call of Jesus when he calls us to, to follow him. It's above all of our circumstances, above all of our conditions, uh, above all of our vocations, above all of our hobbies, above all of our relationships, above all of those things. Jesus steps in and he, he calls us. He calls us to, to leave something totally, and he calls us to rise and, and follow him immediately. It's the picture of the calling of Jesus in Luke chapter 5. But there's also a, a fascinating thing taking place here in Luke's gospel. What we know about Levi, based upon the, the geographic proximity of his tax booth, his primary people that he was collecting taxes from were fishermen who were fishing the Sea of Galilee and then were taking their catch to market. Levi's job was to impose upon tax before they would go to the market to sell them. If we go back to the beginning of chapter 5, Levi is not the only disciple that Jesus calls in this chapter. He calls a trio of disciples at the beginning of chapter 5. Their names are Peter, James, and John. And you know what their vocation was? They were fishermen. So here, here's the picture that Jesus is painting here for his followers. That I'm going to call people that, that, that labor hard, they, they, they work hard in their own business, and I'm going to call people that wrongly, unfairly, cheat them, take more than they should. But I'm going to call both of them, and they're both going to be my disciples, my followers. It's a picture here from the very beginning. But the guest list, as the title of our sermon this morning, that the guest list that Jesus has is truly an otherworldly picture of his kingdom. And that a reminder for us that Jesus and Jesus alone is the only one that can unite people from such diverse places and perspectives. And all of this is preparing for this meal encounter that we'll see in a few verses. You see, the call of Jesus on Levi's life, on these fishermen's life, it did not meet the expectations of the religious people of his day. And the call of Jesus still is not much on meeting people's expectations, right? Because the call of Jesus comes with its own expectations. 
And so we don't do it arrogantly or boastfully or braggadociously. We just say that we are loyal to the king. We're loyal to our Lord. We're loyal to our master. And we will follow Jesus whatever the cost, as we saw so beautifully in the book of Daniel the past few months. And it might not make much sense. But here's the truth in these first two verses, that Jesus sees you, he calls you, and he is demonstrating the, the, the type of company that Jesus came to keep, the, 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 the guest list, if you will. So let's see in these next couple verses what Jesus does with this company, verse 29 and 30. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? A fascinating picture. We see Jesus call Levi to follow him. In the very next verse, Levi is hosting a feast, a celebration, to demonstrate hospitality, but I believe also to demonstrate the intentionality of the one who has just called him. The picture here is this, that he wants all of his old friends to meet his new friend. He wants all of his old friends and his old line of work and his old business to meet the one who just called him out of that into joyful obedience. And so who is there? The text of Scripture says, tax collectors and others. And how is the picture there? They were reclining at the table with them. And here comes the question from the scribes and the Pharisees to Jesus. Why do you eat with them? You can hear it in the question, can't you? There's this us, the Pharisees, got it all together. And they're looking upon this scene. And the question to Jesus' disciples, why are you eating with that kind of people? Why are you associating with, with those kind of folks? And this is fascinating because what we have is, is the religious elite of the day, those that thought they had it all figured out, looking in judgment upon what was really playing out. And the caution for us, I think, every single time we see Pharisees in the Scriptures, is this, to, 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 to be careful. Because most of us probably were raised in church. We were discipled into and, and, and by some form of religious system or structure, children's ministry, youth ministry, VBS, you name it. And what Pharisees teach us is it is impossible to know a whole lot of things about God and yet know nothing of God. And that's what we see play out here. That this religious system that they bought into, that they created, perpetuated this us versus them perspective on life. And might I add that this is probably one of the reasons why 11 a.m. is still one of the most segregated hours in the world. Because we too have perpetuated some idea of us versus them. And if it's not racially, perhaps then it's socioeconomically. Or if it's neither of those, maybe it's just preferentially. I don't like the way that church is being done on this street corner, so I'm going to do it my way on that street corner. And what we see in this narrative is Jesus is showing us there's only one street corner. There's only one table. There's only one king. And there's only one Lord. And you have been invited to my table, to my feast. And so Jesus is making it crystal clear here to the scribes and to the Pharisees that he has come to heal the sick and call the sinner. 
And there's only one qualification for enjoying this feast at the Lord's table, and that is the fact that you are redeemed. And so what does it say then about the scribes and Pharisees that they would rather just have two separate tables? And might we insert ourselves into that question? What does it say about us that sometimes we might just prefer to have two separate tables? One for us and one for them. We want them to enjoy a meal. We just want it at their own table. Did any of y'all ever grow up when you had big family reunions or family gatherings? You had the adult table and then the kid table. Is that the only one that had that experience growing up? Why is that? Sometimes it was a legit reason, right? There was not enough chairs at the adult table. Uh, perhaps there's another reason. The kids were annoying. So you put them in the room by themselves and you close the door. Tell them to clean their plate and go play outside. Not that I've ever heard that before in my life. There are a variety uh, of reasons why that plays out. But I think what we see in, in, in this text, in this narrative, in this picture is the reality that, hey, listen, when you come and follow Jesus, there is but one table and there are plenty of chairs. In fact, there are plenty of open chairs ready, willing for them to be occupied by people that you know that need to know the Lord. But notice how the scribes and Pharisees had their concern heard. What did they do? They grumbled to the disciples. It's fascinating. This Old Testament word that we see as the Israelites were wandering through the wilderness, they were grumbling and complaining as God was daily providing for them. We see here eh, the scribes and Pharisees are grumbling. Aren't you so thankful that we don't struggle with that anymore? And and, and might I even add that I would argue that a, a grumbling spirit is the litmus test on whether your primary view of Jesus is wrapped up in religious rules or in right relationship. The Bible talks about a tree and its fruit. I believe the, when you grumble, the, the fruit, that is the fruit of, of a tree that is captivated by do this and don't do that and not captivated by Jesus who's done it all for you. Well, Luke, I'm not really an optimist, but... You know what they say, right? I'm not not really pessimistic. I'm just a realist. You ever heard that before? Let's talk about that for a minute, right? Okay, you're a realist. I get it. Let's talk about some things that you really have done. You are a really great sinner. And you have been really saved by a really great Savior who's given you really amazing grace. You're a realist, all right. That's not an excuse for you not to smile and have the fruit of the Spirit in your heart and in your life. And that's a picture, I think, here of those that are called to repentance. That those who live in repentance, those who live in right relationship with God, not the righteous that he did not come for, is what he says here. That those that are truly repentant, walking in joyful obedience, know not this grumbling that is happening in this text and in this narrative. Because the true reality is this, that the guest list includes people of all different types. And don't miss this. Jesus is literally sitting down and sharing a meal with people who should have been his enemies. Don't miss that. They should have been his enemies. The picture here is rich and poor, powerful and powerless, the influential, those with no influence. We're all welcome 
at Jesus' table. They all have a seat at the king's table. The question is, do they have a seat at your table? Or for us to step back and look at our, the life of our church, do they have a, a seat at our church's table? Because the picture of the gospel, the picture of Luke chapter 5, is this is the type of company that Jesus keeps. And so we're called to come and follow him and take up Christ's likeness. We're called into his life, to his way of living. So the question is not foreign and is not off. Does this describe the company that we keep? But religious people often struggle to know how to engage the sick and the sinner. How to have this type of company. If we're honest about our own hearts and lives, we would say that. We would share that testimony. Yeah, yeah God, I, I desire that, but, but how do I do that? It's important to note here that, that when we talk about holiness, as we've sung this morning, that our holiness, that holiness that has been given to us by Christ our Savior, means that we are set apart, not separated from. So as we live and walk in joyful obedience to God our Father, and Jesus, his son, here on earth. We need to remember that the holiness that God calls us to means that we are set apart from the world, not separated from the world. That's what Jesus is, is modeling here in Luke chapter 5. Help us to model that for ourselves. I'll never forget when I was here and, and doing my, my, uh, the Q&A before y'all voted on me to be your pastor over four years ago. Can you believe that? Um, we were in the fellowship hall on a Wednesday night. It was a packed house. And I still remember the man. I still remember looking him in the eyes. He asked me a question. He said, Luke, how are you going to help us reach young people? Y'all might not remember that. Like, oh, what a question. Um, and, he, and here's the reality. Here's the reality of the answer to that question. You, we will most naturally reach those that are most like us. That's a fact. Because who you hang out with. It's who you spend time with. It's who you go to school with. It's who you work with. And what we see in, in Luke chapter 5 is, is a model, is a way, it's a, it's a path forward for us to see and to show that all are welcome at the king's table and all are welcome at our table at First Baptist. And so I think the question for us is this, th- does the company you keep reflect the comforts of yourself or your crucified self? Because you remember that verse we read in Luke chapter 9, right? We were to carry our cross daily and follow him. A part of carrying that cross, I would argue, I would say, as we see in Luke chapter 5, is this. The seeing and seeking, the model that Jesus is laying out here. That we see, thirdly, in the ministry of Jesus. Look at verse 31 and 32. And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. One of my favorite things about reading the Gospels is sometimes when you're understanding or trying to understand what in the world is going on, you have these words, Jesus answered them. So it's not about my interpretation of what's going on. Jesus is answering the question himself, and how does he answer it? Those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick. There's so much truth packed into that statement. There are so many applications for how you spend your time, how I spend my time, to how we prioritize things as a church, how you prioritize things as your family. You see, what is happening here is, is Jesus is kind of pushing the boundaries to use, kind of use these church words for a minute. He's, he's pushing the boundaries of, of fellowship and, and hospitality. 
You know the difference, right? Fellowship is, is enjoying rich community with Christians. Hospitality is welcoming strangers. And what Jesus is showing here in Luke chapter 5, how both of those are not just welcome in his kingdom, both of those are necessary in his kingdom. Why is that? Because he says it in the very next verse. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This is a strong statement for us, but it would be even stronger for the scribes and Pharisees because he, they would understand that the righteous that Jesus is talking about was them. They prided themselves in their own righteousness, in the righteousness that they had earned, as they had understood it. But what we see here is Jesus said, uh-uh, I didn't come for that game. I came to call sinners to repentance. And the emphasis in this phrase is the word repentance. But this is what Jesus has come to do. Because if we could save ourselves, then he would not be necessary. But we couldn't, so he did. And the right response to that, as we've declared in song, as we've heard in prayer, is to have a repentant heart. To turn from the things of this world and turn to Jesus. And that is the call that we see in Luke chapter 5. A repentant heart. And you know how you can differentiate between a, a center's need for repentance and the righteous perspective on their need for repentance? You see, sinners recognize their own need to repent. But the righteous, they recognize someone else's need to repent. And what Jesus has come to do is he's come and offered you and asked you, no, 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 you look within. You look within your own heart. That's the heart I came for. That's the heart I came to save. That's the heart I came to call to repentance. For us, it begs the question this morning, is your heart, has your heart been gripped by this kind of humble repentance? Have you truly turned from your sin and turned to Jesus as your Savior? This is what Jesus has come to do. He has not come to call the righteous, but he has come to call the sinner to repentance. Sin is real, and sin separates you from a holy God. But God sent his son to build that bridge that we could not on our own so that we could live in right relationship with him. And the way in which you have access to that right relationship is by turning from your sin and turning from yourself and turning to Jesus. That is why he came. And that offer and invitation is available to you today. So we might walk into this place feeling really good about ourselves, a beautiful June morning, excited about all that the day will hold. But here's the reality, the depth of the sin of our own heart. We are in desperate need of a great Savior. But the good news of the gospel is every single week we can come in and worship one. We can come in and be found at home within this family because of what he has accomplished for us. To say it like this, the call and company of Jesus paved the way for the ministry of Jesus. And the ministry of Jesus is a ministry of proximity. Because you see, you can't call people to repentance that you're never with. And that's what Jesus has come to model for us. He's the perfect model of grace and truth. How to be in the world, but not of the world. How to have conviction and compassion at the same time. How we can truly love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we often miss that and, don't we? And love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus comes to model that for us. I think one of the great challenges that we have for a while, I think these days are ending, struggle to see, and and particularly Southern America, where we kind of still have a little bit of a Christian subculture, is too often we are tempted to hide behind our conviction, and we use that as an excuse to not show compassion. 
And what we see in Luke chapter 5 is this. Jesus willfully walks into Levi's home. He knows who's going to be there. A bunch of sinners, a bunch of tax collectors, a bunch of people who don't know, don't care to know him. But Jesus walks into that room, and the picture of Jesus is this. He walks in with conviction, and he walks in with compassion. It's a picture for us. It's a model for us. And he's showing us how to bring all of this together to show for us how how we can, in our efforts and in his efforts, seeking to save them does not mean sinning with them. I think that's kind of the balance that we're scared of. If we associate them, then we'll become like them. Yeah, that is a temptation. That's why you got to balance that with fellowship. The picture here we see in Luke chapter 5. What we'll see today and, and see throughout this series is God uses, I believe Jesus uses, the table, sharing a meal together, as the great equalizer for people and places. And it's not just a transaction, it's an act of service. And so Jesus is very clear here on what he came to do and how he came to do it. And so the application for our hearts today as Christ followers on June 5th of 2022 is this. Does your ministry reflect the ministry of Jesus? Does our ministry as a church reflect the ministry of Jesus? To push that a little bit further, like when is the last time that you shared a meal? You probably shouldn't use these words in your invitation to them, but the sick who need a great physician and the sinner who need a great savior. When's the last time you've you, you shared a meal with someone like that? Because I think what Jesus is showing us in Luke chapter 5 is, is a picture of kingdom growth. You look around the room this morning, it's summertime, and there's vacations and beach houses and fun to be had with grandparents and all those things. You know, there's plenty of empty seats in our building today. Plenty of space for the sick who need a great physician. Plenty of seats for sinners who need a great Savior. I think what Luke chapter 5 is teaching us, reminding us, is the table is one of the greatest tools that God has given people to reach others. And perhaps these seats that we see empty around the room today could be, would be, should be filled with people in your relational network, people you already know that are waiting on an invitation to join in the feast of the king to join in the great banquet that is to come, waiting to enjoy an intentional meal around your table at your home. If you walk out the doors today as you leave, there are four main doors that people get in and out of our foyer week in and week out. I think one of the applications of Luke chapter 5 is this. There may be only four doors to our sanctuary, but in this room there are probably, I don't know, 100 150 dining room tables. And so the front door of the church probably looks a whole lot like a door hinges or a table with seats. It's the picture here. What Luke chapter 5 is saying, that the front door of the church looks a lot more like tables and chairs than a door with hinges. And it's the invitation for you to live your life And when Jesus calls you 
You leverage the people that you know, like Levi did. Introduce your old friends to your new Savior. The picture of faithful obedience. It's a picture of the Son of Man who came to heal the sick and call the sinner. It's a picture of Jesus calling Levi, sharing company with Levi and his friends so that he could do ministry in and among them. It goes back to the ministry of hospitality. I referenced it earlier, but hospitality is a picture of being a friend to strangers, having a love for strangers. So I think one of the great applications for our hearts, for your heart, for collectively our heart as a church is this, of Luke chapter 5, is to keep our hospitality and fellowship as a church in balance. Both are necessary for your growth in Christ-likeness, but they are not synonyms. How you hang out with church people and how you hang out with sinners, both with the motive to glorify God, one to encourage you in your walk with Jesus, the other to share that you do walk with Jesus. Luke chapter 5, Jesus is coming and he's teaching the religious elite of the day that this is what I have come to do. One of the fascinating things that we'll be able to see in each of these pictures, as, as one commentary says, every single meal encounter we see in the gospel of Luke is ultimately a picture of the great feast that is to come. The one that we've sung about already, the marriage supper of the Lamb, right? When someone from every tribe, tongue, nation, and people we gather before the throne, worshiping God for all eternity, because one day we will join our forever, ta- our forever Savior around his great banquet table. And all will be welcome there. The sick that will be healed, the, the sinners that have been called to repentance. And until then, to go back to the text today, like as we close, here's the great challenge for our hearts. Until then, will we sit and grumble or we go and be the hands and feet of the one who came to heal the sick and call the sinner to repentance? And let's not miss the forum in which Jesus invites them into. He uses Levi's great feast that he has prepared to show and to speak of the great Savior that he came to be. May the Lord use our tables for the same purpose. May the Lord use the table of our church for the same purpose, to show that there is only one true God. There's only one true Savior, that is his Son, who came to bring life and life abundantly to all who call upon him for the forgiveness of sins. That's what he has come to do. May our lives be marked by that same purpose. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray against receiving this word with a callous heart. God, I pray against receiving your word from a comfortable heart. I pray, God, that as you look within us, you see a heart that desires to be your hands and your feet. And Lord, if we're honest, if you look down upon our hearts right now, where you cannot find it, I pray, God, that you would create it. God, remove whatever you must to find within us, God, a heart willing and ready to see your word and to receive your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.